Hey, everybody, just wanted to thank you for listening to the show, for downloading it, for your messages, all the, the support that we've been hearing from you. Clint D affects everyone differently, and it's important to hear many different perspectives. You've heard from people like Peter Sagal and Margaret Cho and John Green and Will Wheaton, all sorts of folks. People reaching out to each other defies the loneliness that depression, that Clinny D thrives on. Your gift to the hilarious world of depression can bring even more candid conversations to light. Do your part to support the show that you love. To make your gift, go to hilariousworld.org and click the donate button. Is depression funny? The extremes of depression, without embellishing the, the behavior that depression causes, is comical. Says there's something wrong with me I've got a sadness I can't shake now Is there something I can't take now It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. I've been doing this show for a while now, and I've talked to a lot of people who more or less have their depression under control, at least for now. Thinking of people like Andy Richter from The Conan Show, who doesn't think of his lifelong depression as cured, more like managed, absolutely managed. It's a bad back that I've learned to kind of cope with, deal with, exercises, medication, therapies, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that I have, uh, you know, just gotten, gotten to a workable level. Managed like a bad back is one of the more desirable outcomes for depression. Doesn't always work out that way. Depression is a disease, and all cases are different. Some are more severe. Gary Gallman has been a comedian for decades and has a great resume. He's been on Letterman, Leno, Colbert, Seth Meyers, Jimmy Kimmel, Conan. He was a finalist on Last Comic Standing. He's put out numerous specials and albums. And he's very well regarded among comedians, thought of highly by colleagues. Here's Gary in action. So... They said, did you find everything you were looking for today at Trader Joe's? And they mean it. I've, I've, I've followed up. I said, well, last week I was here and I got some fair trade, conflict-free pumpkin seeds. <laughs> but this week all you have is the, uh, the conventional, the unfair trade <laughs> blood pumpkin seeds. Um, are, are, you out of the, are you out of the fair trade, conflict-free? And then, and, then, and then she rang a bell. And the stock boy, who's also the chief financial officer <laughs> and, and head of human resources, he came flying up the aisle with my pumpkin seeds and, and a bottle of spiced cider that he felt was a fine compliment. <laughs> and it was. I'm Gary Goleman, and we're in New York City in, in Manhattan, 44th between 5th and 6th. I had thought Gary lived in New York, and I didn't know why we were at a hotel in New York. Why would you be at a hotel in New York if you lived in New York? But there we were, along with his girlfriend, Sade, and his two cavalier King Charles Spaniels, Igor and Sandy. Gary's not from New York originally. He's from Peabody, Massachusetts, outside Boston. 
youngest of three boys. Parents divorced when he was a baby. Gary lived with his mom and still saw his dad a lot. When I was old enough to remember, he was friendly enough with my mother that we would have our days in the in the house. Early on, they, they weren't on speaking terms, so he would take myself and my brothers out. But by the time I, I can have memories of, of him coming around, they were friendly. And so um, he would stay there from noon till about the time 60 minutes started, because I can remember that that just uh, representing everything about, about time to me. To this day, I'm completely distressed by the passage of time because that, that meant that my father was leaving, the weekend was over, and it was time to get ready for bed and, and go to school the next day, which I always, I always dreaded waking up and then, and then facing the trials and tribulations of, of an adolescent in, in elementary school. The show 60 Minutes itself was was uh, it was just harrowing because it also it was on opposite the wonderful world of Disney, which invariably I would start to watch. And then uh, my father would would get up and, and, you you know, there were no remotes. So he would he would manually change the channel, the knob, and that would make a sound. And then it would then it would. And then you would hear the the story for the week, which which invariably regarded um, a nuclear holocaust. It was it was you would go from when you wish upon a star and Tinkerbell to uh, the Soviets are coming. The Soviets are coming. They're going to steal your toys and and deny you chocolate milk. So it was uh, yeah. Sunday nights were were harrowing, and and sixty minutes was was the um, the harbinger of, of misery. Gary was drawn to comedy, recreating bits from early SNL episodes to get attention. His mom let him stay up if there was someone good on Johnny Carson. And he became enamored of one comic in particular, a guy who wore all black and talked about his mental problems. The first guy I really noticed used that style and acknowledged that that aspect of his life was, was Richard Lewis. So um, probably around nine or ten, I, I first saw Richard Lewis, and I and I immediately connected with him um, and and his uh, his uh, neuroses and and his fears and insecurities and and um, I don't I don't know, I mean I must have I I must have felt the the same way. So I identified with him right right away, and I just I I adored his um, his honesty. Gary grew up in a time when any tendency toward depression could be easily reinforced through afternoon television programming. I was always very, very sensitive. So I, I was uh, sad over things quite a bit growing up. I remember uh, one thing that would, that would always happen, and I forget what day it aired, but ABC's after school special was, was always very... Um, sometimes tragic and it would, uh, there were always sad tales of, of people who were either handicapped or, or ill in, in some way, or it was, it was, it was such a sad, um, show. And I remember crying at a, at a lot of them at a, at a very young age. So I, I was always very sensitive and found myself being sad pretty frequently. And, and I, I, I had a very lonely childhood. I didn't, I didn't, um, have a lot of friends early, early on. After-school specials were bleak. One had teen Scott Bayo as a teen pod addict who quickly ramps up to LSD. Teen Rob Lowe got someone pregnant. Teen Val Kilmer drove drunk. Teen River Phoenix had dyslexia, which doesn't seem as bad by comparison. He kind of got off easy on that one. So yeah, Gary's a Richard Lewis fan who gets triggered by TV shows. In high school, things got worse. 
my first brush with with real depression when when I had the the, the uh, legitimate symptoms of depression probably was when I was when I was seventeen and I I had my first breakup with a with a girl I was in in love with and 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 that was the 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 fallout from that led to my first bout of of depression which which colored the the rest of my the rest of my high school, I was a, a junior at the at the time, and while while I I would say for the most part I I, I enjoyed the rest of my high school days. There were there was always this um, subtext of loss and and regret and longing, and and it and and I wasn't able to to um, I had other girlfriends and girls that I, that liked me, and I and I dated after that, but it, they were all contaminated by by that by that experience. It's interesting because when I was when I was 16, one of my brothers suffered from a, a severe depression, and he sought therapy, and and he went on meds, and he uh, emerged from it uh, stronger, and and hasn't had an episode uh, since. But I didn't think of it as a as a depression. It, it seemed to me to be a a legitimate and reasonable response to this uh, loss that I would want to sleep all the time and and that nothing would make me happy and that my grades would would suffer and I w- wouldn't feel like playing basketball and and it just seemed to be reasonable suffering. Red flags all over the place here, but Gary never considered that he may be mentally ill. Didn't want to think about getting treatment. Treatment was for for people who were were uh, very far gone, and 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 you know it's interesting because mental illness ran in my family. My father's mother was was institutionalized with what they called at the time manic depression, but is you know now now called bipolar disorder. But she was um, hospitalized for for months and years at a time, as as far as I can gather. There were stories of her having uh, manic episodes in which she was uh, verbally abusive to my mother, and we just saw her as being, you know, the term lunatic and crazy, and, and those types of things were bandied about carelessly. My exposure to to mental illness up to that time was, you know, my, my brother, which I didn't fully, fully understand what was going on, and then... I had seen uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with, with Jack Nicholson, and that had uh, devastated me. That was such a sad, sad, tragic movie. Huge amounts of stigma in play here. You got a young person with problems and no real path to getting better. And as Gary Goldman barreled toward adulthood, he had also set some goals, which you can interpret as aiming high or guaranteeing misery. Probably at the age of 12 or, or 13, Looking at my middle brother's life, my brother was a, a senior in college, and he was going to um, get a job, and and he was going to, you know, probably marry his girlfriend and and have that that life. And I remember thinking to myself, if I don't do something really uh, impressive and and outstanding, like like play in the NBA or uh, become a professional comedian. I, I loved basketball. I practiced basketball all the time. If I don't do something like that, I'm going to hate myself. I'm going to have no respect for myself, and I'm not going to be able to function in, in the world. If I had my, my brother's life, I would be just uh, downtrodden and uh, inconsolable. And I, I remember knowing that that was really um, a frightening prospect. <laughs> He had set this bar so high, but he had to clear it just to not feel like a failure. 
That's a depression move. And he was 12, 13 years old when he said it. Imagine that, spending your life trying to meet an incredibly difficult standard that a 13-year-old has set for you. It's not a happy thing to imagine. Let's put some comedy here. They sell candy at the front of the grocery store in gumball machines, okay? Those nasty, nasty gumball machines. They probably haven't rotated the stock in 35 years. <laughs> they sell the same candy inside the grocery store, in a box, <laughs> hermetically sealed, free of all disease, <laughs> fresher, and at a lower unit price. Than the candy at the front of the store. But schmuck that I am, if I have a quarter and they have candy out there, I'm like, no, 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 forget about you, freshness. I want, I want my Mike and Ikes to tumble down a spout, a disgusting, filthy spout that a dozen six year olds have shoved their measle covered hands, their hepatitis C encrusted fingernails trying to scrape free Mike's and or Ike's off the side. Yes, yes. If I'm gonna eat Mike and Ike's, I wanna eat my Mike and Ike's the same way a petting zoo llama would eat his Mike and Ike's. That's Gary Gullman on stage in 2015. Okay, so Gary thinks he needs fame and glory or he's a failure. The most obvious path was sports. Dude's six foot six. My basketball career was on a trajectory where it would have led me to be probably a, a, a very good small college player. Maybe at, at, you know, I was recruited by places like Bowdoin College, like that level of, of basketball, which would have been so much fun. And, and I, I would have had a, a ball and uh, it would have been perfect. But there aren't a lot of Bowdoin players in the NBA. So as fun as it sounded, basketball is off the table. But Gary's size and athleticism got him noticed by his high school football coaches. And they said, if you, um, if you come out for the football team, we will get you a uh, college scholarship. And there will be newspaper articles about you. And you will get sex. And so my, my fear of being average was going to be avoided. I was going to avoid being average. And I played one season of high school football and I did okay. I had some very good games. So there was some really good tape of me playing football. And um, my my dream came true. I was recruited by, by a number of different uh, colleges to play football. And um, I, I chose um, Boston College. It was a, a very good school and they offered me a full scholarship. Boston College is a big-time Division I program. Sixteen former BC players are now in the NFL. Gary had his ticket to meeting that high standard of fame and glory. Within a week, I realized that I was, that I was overmatched by these other guys who had played football their entire lives, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't keep up, and I, um, my confidence was, was annihilated. And I went home one weekend and, and just... Um, Stayed in my room the entire weekend, and my my oldest brother, who had who had suffered from depression, said that he's um, he's depressed. And I went to the to the trainers of the uh, team when I got back to school that that Monday for practice, and they they were so understanding. One of them said that his father had suffered from this, and he was really kind. And he sent me to the head of the counseling service, University Counseling Services. And I, and I met with him. And I just remember thinking that, wow, this is, this is something I've needed for a, for a long time. Somebody to talk to about how I, 
Um, I think right away his question was, why don't you, why don't you quit the football team? I think that um, <laughs> I, th- I think that I'm I'm shocked that this is this this has nothing to do with football and everything to do with my relationship with that man. He was uh, really special. He's um, Dr. Tom McGinnis. Dr. McGinnis had done something radical. He forced Gary to think about the possibility of not demanding perfection from himself, a ticket out of this fame-or-failure dichotomy Gary had trapped himself in. And uh, and he said, why don't you just quit the football team? And I just told him that I would be letting down so many people, and also, whenever you... uh, achieve at the level I was achieving. There were, there were a lot of people who were, and, and, um, understandably these players I played high school with who had played their entire lives, none of them got scholarships to play at at that level. So there was jealousy and, and doubt. And, and, um, so I didn't, I didn't want them to, to win and, and celebrate, you know, there, there was, uh, at no point did I say, well, I love, I love football and I love the competition and, and it's my, it's my calling. And, and, uh, it was all, it was all, uh, outside reasons for, for wanting to, to continue. Nothing had anything to do with what I really enjoyed. I hated the, the practices. I, I, only had a couple of friends on the on the team and and um I just was not I did not I was not an aggressive person I didn't have that that killer instinct I I was very timid and and um I just happened to be born into this uh six foot six 240 pound body and I was very athletic and I could run fast and and jump high but my my mental makeup was was more like uh Richard Lewis you know initially I I uh I scoffed and, and thought it was um, just uh, it was it was impossible. I would lose my I would lose my scholarship and I would um, be uh, um, relegated to being um, you know what I had what I had feared since I was twelve and thirteen that I would be that I would be ordinary um, and and that I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I would be so um, disappointed with myself. But the other thing he said, and I'll never forget it, he said, um, if, if, you, if you don't address this, it will affect and hinder uh, every aspect of your life. Every relationship, every job, every aspect of your life will, will be uh, contaminated by this, by this illness. Gary gets treatment, but the depression continues after football season. So he thinks maybe football isn't the problem. So he sticks with it, and soon it's time for spring practices. Heavy workouts, intense pressure and competition, all culminating in a single, closely watched scrimmage game. Gary's playing offensive line. His job, protect the quarterback. I missed a block. And the the quarterback who is who is the golden boy and would turn out to be an NFL, um, if not a star, a very, very capable NFL player, but a but a college star. He was he was uh, his name was Glenn Foley. He played for the Seahawks and and Jets, and and he was going to be the next quarterback star at Boston College. I missed a block, and he got uh, sacked viciously. I'm gonna wake up my dog now because he's uh, snoring, and I don't want that to get on the on the recording. Sorry, Igor. Um, 
He's, he's named after the Marty Feldman character in Young Frankenstein, my favorite comedy movie. It should be pronounced Igor. In all, Gary only ever played two seasons of football, one in high school, one in college. But he spent a huge chunk of our interview talking about football. I left a lot of it in. It was important to Gary. It was a turning point in how he would define himself. Uh, so I missed a block, and he got, and the quarterback got got uh, snuffed out. And uh, the next thing I remember is that the the uh, head coach of the team, who I had very little interaction since I had been recruited, came storming across the the field. And if he had been a cartoon, you know, smoke would have been coming out of his ears, and a and a um, whistle would have been going off over his head. He was red in the face, and he uh, laid into me uh, as well. He should have because I had. You you know, nearly gotten the, the star player injured. And um, I can remember uh, my lip quivering and almost crying at this, at this um, chewing out. I went into my counselor's office uh, the next meeting we had, and he said, I, I uh, never give advice. You know, and I didn't realize that that wasn't something that a, a therapist should do or that therapists had opinions on that. He says, I, I never give advice, but you should quit the football team. So he did. But the contract he had signed with himself at age 12 or 13 was still in effect. Nothing short of stardom would be okay. To be ordinary would be to fail. And now athletic fame was off the table. So what now? More in a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It Okay is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness, not just depression, all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having a lot of laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, maybe demystifying the disease a little bit, make it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. This is a serious disease. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. That can be an awkward conversation given the subject matter, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, what to say, what not to say. And it has stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org. You can take the pledge right there to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Back with Gary Gullman. Having quit football, Gary stayed at Boston College. He got a degree in accounting, and he went to work for Price Waterhouse Cooper. But he still loved comedy, and he started hitting the open mics at night. Besides, he had decided he needed to be famous, and how many famous accountants can you name? Eventually, telling jokes to strangers defeated number crunching. Couple of years into accounting, I was um, I had given them my my notice. I was I was going to leave, and then I and then I started to be obnoxious on on jobs, and and I was very entertaining to the people on the on the job, but it was being disruptive to the uh, client. And we were at an, at a client's, and I was entertaining and making a ruckus in the in the um, special room that we had for accountants that we were working in. And somebody said, "Gary, you know you're going to disturb the client." And I and I said, "quote What, what are they going to do? Fire me?" And uh, within 24 hours, I was called into HR, and they said, um, "It says here that you said, what are they going to do? Fire me?'" <laughs> and they said, uh, "So we'd like you to leave. You will pay you for the next two weeks, and and uh, we 
no longer need your services. And it was a blessing in disguise. But I um, I went on to um, then get jobs as a waiter and a doorman at a bar I had worked at in, in just after college, the summer after college. And later on, I would work at Starbucks. And then the best job I had or, or the most rewarding job I had was at a as a um, substitute teacher for $45 a day at my um, the high school I graduated from. So I was able to work with, with a lot of the teachers I had in, in high school while continuing to do the, the stand-up. Becoming a comedian is not easy. It takes years to hone your craft, develop material, get well-known enough to book shows and attract audiences, and it's brutally competitive. It took Gary nine years to become a full-time professional comic, and that's faster than most. He moves to L.A., Life in, in Los Angeles between 2000 and 2006 was um, mostly positive. I had a very good therapist while I was out there. It was, it was up and down and peaks and valleys, but I would say for the, for the most part, I was, I was in a productive and in a good space mentally and, and didn't have any, any extended episodes. And in 2006, I moved to New York City and my plan was to um, spend six months in New York City and uh, write an hour of material and um, just get on stage every night. And I was uh, I was diligent and dedicated and obsessed with getting on stage. And then within a couple of months, I became discouraged. It wasn't uh, working. I wasn't I wasn't uh, developing new material, and I became discouraged. And I. Uh, I had a, a severe episode that lasted from the summer until the the winter and there was a there was a breakup I'd been living with a girl at the time there was a breakup in the middle and there was a um a new therapist that I found that I stuck with for for um that I've been involved with for most of my time in in New York City in the past 10 years and uh and I found a, a psychopharmacologist who was recommended to me by a, a fan at a at a show the, the woman introduced herself and and for some reason she said that she was um a therapist and I uh I wrote her a note and gave her my uh, my, my phone number and asked her for for help and she recommended this doctor who recommended another doctor who I I see this man named Dr. Richard Friedman who's at uh Cornell and he's uh I was on a combination of Wellbutrin and Zoloft that um really did the trick and was very effective for uh 7 or 8 years was very effective. The brain is a mysterious and sometimes fickle pile of goo. Sometimes meds stop working. And sometimes they stop working right when other things go wrong as well. I made a, I made a special in, in 2015, and, um, and it didn't go as well as I, I wanted it to. And um, from that night, I spiraled down to uh, the the worst depths of my of my uh, of my of my life, I was um, uh, I'm 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 reluctant to to admit this because it's it's um, you know there's still a stigma and, and it's, it's um, but I was I was hospitalized for a time in in um, 2016 um, and uh, because of depression and uh anxiety anxiety was like a new um a new twist that i'd never i'd never experienced really um to any lasting degree until this episode and and i would say that the past 
um, two and a half years has been um, a, uh, I, I guess I, I, I faced some anxiety in, in 2006 with that, with that bout. It was brand new in 2006. It subsided for 10 years or seven or eight years. And then, and then it came back this time around and it's been the, the, um, the bane of my existence for, for the past, um, two and a half years. I didn't know this. This wasn't in any research for the interview. Things had gone worse for Gary recently than I had realized. And I was surprised that his breakdown happened in 2016 because that was the year Gary Gullman had a very odd and brilliant performance on Conan that really got him noticed. Started like this. Thanks very much. I just wanted to uh, recommend a documentary to everyone and then, and then I'm going to go. Um... <laughs> I asked Gary why he let it off that way. The actual um, mindset behind that opening is actually uh, one of uh, one of arrogance, because I'm so confident in the uh, worthiness of that joke that um, partly I'm convinced you're going to love it. Second, if you don't love it, there's something wrong with you, and I didn't want to be here in front of uh, a group of Cretans. Anyhow, so um, you can take this or, or leave it, but, but, he, but here it is. The rest of the set was recounting this fake documentary about a group of people who set out to abbreviate all 50 states down to two capital letters each. The seeming banality of the task is contrasted by the dramatic intensity with which Gary imbues it. It's weird as hell and very funny. Uh, uh, Alaska AL, Alabama AL. We did use that one before, boss. And the boss said, guys, not a big deal. We'll come back to it. It's not going to happen again. <laughs> Certainly not going to happen 27 more times. Foreshadowing. <laughs> so, so what's next? Arizona, AI. There we go. We're back on track. Next, Arkansas. Shit. <laughs> Uh, no, we'll come back to it. It's not going to happen again. What's next? California, CA. There we go. Next, Colorado, CO, Momentum, Connecticut. <sighs> we are screwed. Somebody needs a drink. Not now, Dottie. Not now, you vulgar lush. By the time they got to Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, followed by Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, and Missouri, shots were fired. The bit killed. Audience loved it. Six million views on Facebook. But to people working in comedy, it was more than that. It was fearless. Josh Gondelman is a comedian and a writer on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I talked to him via Skype. The buy-in that it requires from the audience and the confidence it takes in the joke to attempt it, to start, hey, I just saw this documentary, and then to describe uh, a made-up movie for like four and a half minutes is like really incredible. And the, the way he brings the audience on board, there's no um, kind of throwing the audience a bone of like, here's a little opening joke that I did to make you trust me. He's just like, come with me on this journey with one single really kind of surrealist joke. If the audience doesn't understand what you're doing or if they don't enjoy what you're doing, uh, then it's just four and a half, five minutes of like, what's going on there? 
Patton Oswalt called the state abbreviation set one of the rare, perfectly written, realized, and executed comedy routines. It was both brave and happening in the year Gary Goleman was hitting bottom. As the world applauded him, here's what he was thinking. It was like, uh, well, great. I'll never be able to write anything that good again, and um, everything will be uh, compared to that. And I'm trying to write a new hour, and uh, nothing is as, is as good as that. It's the best thing I've ever written, and um, I can't hope to uh, eclipse it. Career highlight, but depression robbed him of it. Listener, do me a favor. When you see someone doing great work, getting noticed and praised by their peers, showing a smile and even a little swagger to the world, don't assume they're doing fine. I haven't been able to emerge from this latest episode. Right now, I'm not at the bottom of it. I didn't do comedy for, for two months at all. I wasn't, I wasn't able to. The anxiety and the depression was, was too severe. And it was all day long, but um, starting in, in uh, this past May, I, I've been able to uh, get on stage regularly. And over the past couple of months, I've been able to write quite a bit. I made uh, significant changes to my life based on my mood and, and condition um, in that uh, my lease ran out at the end of June, this past June. And I moved back to uh, Peabody and moved into my mother's house. I, I didn't, during May uh, and April, I was so far down and so ill that I couldn't imagine looking for a new apartment in New York. And I didn't know whether I was going to be able to do uh, comedy again. I didn't know whether I was going to earn a living. So I, I made arrangements to um, let my lease expire and move back in because I wasn't going to be able to um, support myself. It was his girlfriend's birthday, so he was in town for that and to do a couple of sets around the city. And he was staying at a hotel. Things might be improving for Gary, or at least stabilizing. Thank God, over the past uh, few months, I've risen to a, to a level where I can uh, do comedy, and I have been earning a living and touring and, and doing dates um, yeah, I've changed my meds several several times over the past uh, uh, two years. I don't give them much uh, credit because I don't I don't feel great, but I'm 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 productive. You know, I'm productive. I've been able to exercise and write. And uh, one thing that was that was a tragedy to me for for most of the past two and a half years was that I couldn't I couldn't read. I couldn't concentrate enough to read. I would get so anxious. And lately, that's been actually something that's, that's been a guaranteed anti-anxiety. Uh, when I'm reading, I'm not, I'm not anxious. And when I'm writing, I'm not, I'm not anxious. And when I'm listening to audible books, I'm not, I'm not anxious. And uh, that's been a, a, a saving grace. So I, I, um, uh, things could be and have been so much so much worse than in in comparison i think i'm doing i'm doing uh pretty well and i and i'm optimistic and my my dr friedman is is optimistic and feels that you know this is promising 
but I'm I'm reluctant to get another lease in in New York City because I've only had a couple months of of um, of uh, strong productiveness. On better meds, able to work and read, a long and prosperous career, a daring and brilliant set that went viral and earned the admiration of his peers. Is Gary Gullman successful? Well, how do you think a depressed person answers that question? No, because, you know, the the 12-year-old kid wanted to be the, um, you know, the host of of The uh, Tonight Show. You know, the 20-year-old kid wanted to be Seinfeld. And how I feel now is that I I often feel like a a failure, you know, that I didn't reach my potential. Had I been, you know, I I always say, had I felt good, I would have been... Un- unstoppable. When I feel good, I'm un- I'm unstoppable, and I- I've just been been plagued uh, so many times, and and been held back by this illness, and it's been you know just the the bane of my existence for for so long, and and so consistently that I've had to uh, work around it, and it's cost me time and so much energy, and and I just feel like. Um, you know, as as far as I can tell, I work harder than most, uh, less hard than than some. I'm I'm pretty diligent about writing and and listening to my sets and everything like that. But I I always feel that I um I didn't uh, reach my my potential and and uh, so I have you know regrets and misgivings uh, about that. I mean, I guess I guess intellectually, I know it's the disease talking, but it feels so uh, accurate. I once talked about de- depression on uh, a radio show, and and a you know a cruel troll wrote, "Well, the reason you're depressed is because you're a uh, lousy comic and a failure." And uh, and I remember thinking, um, "Yeah, well, he's he's right. He's on the money." You know, I blocked him and everything like that, and and what you're supposed to do with somebody like that, but he just. Uh, you know, hit the nail on the on on the head. That's why I'm depressed. If I was a successful comedian who reached his goals and and achieved uh, stardom, then then I wouldn't be depressed. Gary Goleman has a mental illness, but he is not in the cuckoo's nest. In fact, he was in a very nice hotel with his girlfriend and two dogs who were very good dogs. He's not detached from reality. He knows what's going on. I was reading about Mickey Mantle recently, and, and Mickey Mantle died thinking that he had not been as good as he uh, should have been, and uh, was was uh, depressed and miserable about it, and hated himself. And 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 I just, uh, you know, how can you not be satisfied with Mickey Mantle's career? And 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 he wasn't. So it makes sense that. Um, that unless I was able to uh, conquer the, the depression, that I would, um, that I could be on top of the world. You know, there's that famous, maybe it's a rumor, but that uh, David Letterman once wrote to Terry Garr during a, an episode. He wrote, "I hate myself," and and I just, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. Right? If I had Letterman's career and respect and adulation, I would be, then I'd be happy. So it's, it's unwinnable. You know, one thing that that opened up my eyes years ago was when when Terry Bradshaw admitted to having depression and that he felt like a shit. And people said to him, and the, the quote was, people said to him, you're Terry Bradshaw. You know, you're Mickey Mantle. You're David Letterman. And, and the, the, you know, the illness negates it. And I'm Gary Gullman, is what I was hoping he would yell next. 
and he didn't. I posted the abbreviations bit on Facebook, and all these friends of mine came out of the woodwork as diehard Gullman heads. He is a star, but he can't see his life that way. Depression has taken that from him as well. I asked Gary if he was optimistic. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, optimistic. I, I think when I've been at my best, my mantra has been, it'll work out. You'll figure it out. Um, something will, will come along. And um, it's equally accurate as a prediction as things are only going to get worse and you're going to be depressed and sad and, and miserable because you can't, you, know, you can't predict the future. But it's much more fun and uh, manageable to, to go through with, with that mantra than the other one. But it's, it's, um, it's still a bear to get out of bed in the morning. That it's um, commonplace and that it is, uh, and I still have a hard time wrapping my head around it, but, but the idea that it's, uh, that it's not my fault, you know, I wish I, I, I still wish I could really get, because I, I blame myself for my, you know, my, my lifestyle. I think, oh, if I just um, been satisfied to, uh, to graduate college, marry somebody and have kids in a, in a house and, a, and an accounting job, then I wouldn't um, face the ups and downs of comedy, which I feel contribute to the instability contributes to the to the illness, but when I'm in, again, when I'm in my right mind, I, I can recognize that it's something I chose or, or did to myself, that it's a, an illness. Here's Gary Gullman on stage in 2017. I had to do laundry. That kept me in bed. I didn't want to do the laundry, and I just, ugh, you gotta separate it and then put it in the wash and take it out of the wash, put it in the dryer, and wait for an angry neighbor to take it out for you. <laughs> then you gotta put it into the laundry bag, dump it on the bed, and sleep around it for two days. <laughs> the thing that got me out of bed yesterday was um, I made a promotion in my head. It was. Um, Everybody who gets out of bed by three gets a donut. <laughs> and I, I got the donut. I got the donut. I... <laughs> I set goals and I achieved them. <laughs> why is it so hard to get out of bed? I'll, t I'll tell you why. Because the thing that they don't tell you growing up about life is this, life, hmm, it's every single day. <laughs> the Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Our technical director is Johnny Vince Evans. Thanks also to Nate Toby. Our theme song is called Pagliacci, and it was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller of the rock and roll band The Old 97s. You can find out more about Rhett at his website, rhettmiller.com. Be sure to catch his rock and roll band when they play your rock and roll town. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Again, the number 
273-8255. The 8255 spells talk. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting a conversation about mental illness can be kind of awkward sometimes, but Make It OK has tips on what to say and what not to say. Stories also of hope from people who have been there. You can go there, take the pledge to Make It OK at makeitok.org. We're on Twitter at THW of D, that's THW of D, and we are on Facebook now as well. Just search us up on Facebook, you'll find us. You can even email us, send us an electric mail at THWOD, THWOD, at AmericanPublicMedia.org. Be sure to swing by Apple Podcasts, rate us, write a review, it helps us out a lot. On the next episode, comedian Patty Harrison stayed in bed for about a year, which isn't a real good sign. Yeah, it was like this conversation of like, Pat, why are you, why are you in bed all day? I was like, because I want to die, dumbass. And she's like, okay, well then we'll go to therapy. Yeah. Like, it was just like me being like, okay, dumbass. Like I was being, I'd never, I would never call my mom a dumbass. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Would you say I'm a hopeless case? Say it ain't so. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know.